We are starting a new sermon series today called Woke, called Woke. Any of you are familiar with that word, woke? Maybe some young people, younger people are. You guys know me pretty well, so you know I'm kind of hip to the lingo of the new generation, don't you? You know that, right? Probably using the word hip disqualifies me already, but so when I'm hanging out with my posse, I use words like true dat and swole and rad. <laughs> Although I think rad is from the 80s, actually. <laughs> well, this word uh, has a very serious connotation as we were in our worship planning team, and we've been planning this series for weeks now, as we began talking about exploring the heart of spiritual renewal. Somebody mentioned this word in kind of a tongue-in-cheek way, and actually we latched onto it because when we began to think about it, it actually describes pretty well what we're talking about in this new series. So the dictionary defines woke as the past tense of wake, (laughs) right? As in, I was sleeping, but now I'm woke. As in, the process of waking up is over. I'm, I'm woke. They're no longer asleep. Now, again, that ties in really well to what we're talking about. The Urban Dictionary talks about woke in this sense. Being woke means to be aware, knowing what's going on, not being blind to reality, not being asleep to what's really going on in the world. Listen to this, not being naive or ignorant. Now, here's what we're saying, and I think you're going to agree with me, is that there's this tendency in life for us to drift And life has a way of kind of lulling us to sleep to spiritual realities. Isn't that true? Kind of lulling us to sleep to who God is and to his promises and to his faithfulness and to his plan and his purposes for our life. Life tends to do that. We tend to be lulled to sleep spiritually, and then God comes along with wake-up calls, and we hit the slumber button. We hit the snooze. And we just kind of keep going. And what we're talking about in this series is we're talking about awakening ourselves to the realities of who God is. And we've been in prayer about this literally for weeks, praying that God would speak to us and we would have an experience with him that is real. And we would have an experience with him that is new, something that is unique for you, something that that would represent a fresh wind of the Holy Spirit just kind of sweeping across our church and the people. And that God would awaken us again and aliven us to the realities of who he is. And that once again, we would believe. There's basic questions that go along with what we're talking about. What do we believe about who God is? What do we really believe about who God is? Do do we believe what we preach and teach Week in and week out here and what we sing, do we actually believe the message we're preaching? What do we believe about our potential in Christ? What do we believe that God could do in our lives? These are the big questions that we want to ask. And I want to I ask you to just come in every week, opening your mind up and your heart up to say, God, would you speak to me in a fresh new way? God, I'm in a routine. I'm in a rut 
God, I've drifted. Would you speak to me in a fresh new way? That's, that's our prayer. And there's no better passage of Scripture to talk about spiritual awakening and spiritual renewal than 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Verse 14 is the primary verse that we're going to look at. It's the pivotal verse. But let's start in verse 11 of 2 Chronicles 7. Let me tell you what's going on. Solomon had just completed the first temple. This amazing, beautiful edifice that was built to the glory of God, costing billions of dollars, literally, in today's equivalents. And it was built to honor God and to be a house for God. It would be the place where the Ark of the Covenant would reside, the symbol of God's very presence and power for the nation of Israel. Solomon built this, and now he comes to the point where he is dedicating the temple, dedicating it to God because the construction is over with. And in response to the prayer of dedication, God responds to Solomon with some amazing words. Here's what it says in verse 11. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. So he finished the temple and he finished his own king's residence. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house, he successfully accomplished. Now listen to this, verse 12. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. I've heard your prayer and I've chosen this temple as the house of sacrifice, the house of worship. He goes on. So when I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or I command the locusts to devour the land or I send pestilence among the people, what is God saying there? He's saying, when you go to sleep spiritually, when you forget who I am, when you drift away from my presence and my power, and I come along and I give you wake-up calls in the form of adversity, when I shut up the rain from the heavens, or I send the locusts or the pestilence, when I'm trying to get your attention, if you will respond to me, here's my response to you. Verse 14, if my people... After all that, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. What an amazing promise. And he goes on. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. What a beautiful phrase. I know this is primarily talking about the temple. But wouldn't that be amazing for that to be true here at this place? That God would say that my eyes will be attentive, my ears will be open to the prayers that are offered in this place. That he would seek us in this way and that we would respond to him in this way. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. We're going to come back to that whole idea of God's name. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. Now again, just an amazing statement, an amazing promise. So as we're talking about spiritual awakening, as we're talking about personal revival, there are two ideals that are coming out in this passage And they are found in the first part of verse 14. So here from the onset, as we start this sermon series, I want us to just look at the first part of verse 14 that says this, if my people who are called by my name, and don't just kind of read past that too quickly, because this is profound in its implications. 
profound in the understanding of what God is talking about there when he says, if my people who are called by my name. So here are the two dimensions. First of all, God's people, his people. We are his people. That's what he says. Now, here's the truth. God has always sought to establish a people for himself. He has always sought to bring a people who would be called by his name for himself. And it started early. It started with the promise of Abraham where God promised that he would establish a nation through Abraham. And then after the group of people who would uh, at one point be called the Jews and eventually the nation of Israel, they were in slavery in Egypt. And God came to them and began this promise of him establishing his people. Look at what it says in Exodus chapter 6. God says to the people who are in Egypt in slavery, I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. So it started way back then, but it has been reclaimed and redeemed in Jesus Christ. Now through Jesus and through his blood, he has made us who have placed their trust in him as Savior and forgiver. He has made us his people. We are his people. And the Bible talks all about it, that we are God's household. We are God's family. We are his children. We are a royal priesthood. We are God's people, and we belong to him. You've got to understand this, because it's the key to what we're talking about this whole series. It's the idea of possession. The idea that, we belong to God. Look at these words that are used, these, these terms, my, mine. God longs for us as a people. Way back in Exodus chapter 20, when the Ten Commandments were given to Moses, God said through Moses, I don't want you to serve or worship idols. And then he says this, for I am a jealous God. Do you know that God is jealous for you? He is jealous for me. He is jealous for us as a people. Now, it, it's one thing to be jealous of people who have things that don't belong to us, right? That's envy. It's another thing to be jealous for that which already belongs to us. I, imagine this. Imagine someone comes along seeking to replace you, <laughs> seeking to live in your home, take your job, Drive your car, take your spouse, your kids to just replace you completely. You would have a right. It would be a righteous jealousy that you would have because those things rightly belong to you. God is jealous for that which belongs to him. And we belong to him. He is jealous for that which takes us away from him. He is jealous for that which vies for our attention. He is jealous for that which rivals devotion to him. Why? Because we're his people. God's people, but here's the second idea. God's name. So he said, if my people, and then what did he say? Who are called by my name. We as believers bear the name of God upon our lives. Now, this was an amazing truth that I came across, and I had understood this to some degree, but not to the degree that I understood it this week as I was studying. 
I, I came to learn it's just all over the scripture that God is deeply concerned about his name. And there's some reasons why for that. But God, again, is concerned about his name. So we read in the scripture that God's great and holy name is to be praised. His name is to be praised. His name is the Lord, is what it says. We are to proclaim God's name. We are called by God's name. We are to pray and act in God's name. We are to worship for the sake of his name. We are to not profane the name of God. And we are to build a place for God's name. This is all in the scripture. So he is deeply concerned about this. And think about the idea of name. Think about a label that is used to name an individual, to name a person. When we talk about God and his name, there are really two dimensions that are going on here, two kind of same sides of the coin, revelation and reputation. Here's what God wants with respect to his name. He wants, first of all, for his name to be known. He wants to make his name known. And why is that? Because the name tells something about the person, doesn't it? And we have three kids. We chose their names. Ryan is my oldest. His name means kingly. Brandon is our second born. His name means prince or brave. Kaylee, our daughter, last child, her name means swamp dweller. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Punk, something like that, no. It means fair or beautiful one. As we were thinking about names, we chose names that we hoped that our kids would identify with some degree and maybe that they would reflect some of the dimensions of the character of that name. Now, that's kind of true for our culture, but I want to say to you that in the Bible, it is really true. It is specifically true. I mean, names were given with distinct purposes. Why? Because in the Bible, names were all about identity and destiny. Things would take place through the name. Adam names his wife Eve because she is the mother of all the living. God changes Abram's name to Abraham to show that he is the father of many nations, which is what Abraham means. God changed Sarai's name to Sarah because she is the mother of nations. He changed Jacob's name to Israel. After Jacob wrestled with the angel, he changed his name to Israel because Jacob would be one who prevails with God. And when the Son of Man, Son of God, came into this world, his name was not left to chance. But the angel appeared to Joseph and to Mary and said to, to them, You shall name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus literally means saving one or savior. So the name is important. And why does God want to make his name known? Because once you accurately understand the name of God, you understand who he is, it evokes a response of trust. In fact, Psalm 9 says this, says that people who know God's name will put their trust in him. People who know God's name will put their trust in him. But it's not just about making God's name known. God desires also to make his name great. To make his name great. This is the idea of reputation. Not just that his name is known, but what is it known for? 
And this goes to the whole heart of our response to him. What is God known for in our lives? Which goes to the heart of worship. Do you understand that God's not primarily concerned about worshipers as much as he is concerned? He's not concerned about worship as much as he is concerned about worshipers. Worship is the venue, the vehicle through which he gains worshipers. Remember, we are his people. He desires us. He desires worshipers. And he desires that we make his name great and to ascribe to him the glory that is due his name. So here's the idea. If my people who are called by my name, an amazing name of God, if they will do this, then he makes these promises of spiritual renewal, which we're going to talk about in the weeks to come. So spiritual renewal as we're starting off here from the onset, is based upon two things. It's based upon two understandings. The first understanding is this. There's an understanding of whose I am. Understanding whose I am. My people. The idea, again, is that I belong to God. You understand, you don't belong to yourself. You belong to God who not only created you, but redeemed you. You're his twice. Look at what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Paul is saying, don't you know this reality? Don't you understand that the Holy Spirit of God resides within you? Folks, do you know this? Do you understand this? excuse me, that right now, where you sit, if you're a follower of Christ, you've placed your trust in Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit of God has taken up residence within you. He lives within you. The Spirit of Christ dwells within you. And Paul goes on to say, don't you know that? Whom you have from God, the Holy Spirit, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You've been purchased. You've been purchased by the precious blood of Jesus. And that says something to you. It should, at least. It says something to me about our value to God, the preciousness that we have, the fact that God is jealous for us, that he has passion for you and me, that he desires us. If you want to know what your value is, think about the price that was paid for you. I've told you before that I love you as my brothers and sisters, but I don't love you enough to give my son's life for you. You lose that battle. But God does. And that should say something to you about your value to him. About how precious you are to him and about how he deeply desires you, is passionate for you, and is jealous for you. So understanding whose I am, but not only that, understanding who I am. Because from the reality of whose I am, I now have a new identity. It means I am something different than I was before because I've been purchased by the blood of Christ. I am something else. And here's who we are because of that purchase 
by Christ. In John chapter 1, here's what the Apostle John says, but as many as received him, and that's you, if you've received him, this is you, he's talking about you, to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, listen to what he says, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You are not primarily the product of your mother and father. You are primarily the product of a loving creator who's created you and again by the blood of Christ has redeemed you. Not born as a result of human will. Not born as a result of a physical process of human conception and birth. You've been born of God. And so you are a child of God. Just let that sink in. You are an heir to the king. The God who created the universe, the eternal God, sought you and seeks you and is jealous for you and then would pay the ultimate price to redeem you. And now you're his child. When we talk about spiritual awakening, spiritual awakening is first about identity. Identity being that sense of self, that somewhat subconscious sense of self that, that kind of underlies my life, streams a th- as a thread through my life that helps me to understand who I am and by default who I'm not, helps me understand what I'm to do based upon my identity and what I'm not to do. This sense that I'm a child of God and that never goes away. On my worst day, I'm a child of God. And so in this wonderful, wonderful, deep reality, we can walk a new life. And as we understand what this means, then we can awaken ourselves to being alive in Christ, understanding our great potential because of Jesus and because of who we are. That we bear his name. My children bear my name, and I'm thankful for that. And in times I've had to come along and say, that's not who you are. And that's not who we are. We bear a name. And the name that we bear, folks, is that we are the children of God. Parker Palmer is an author. One of my favorite quotes of all time was written by him. Here's what he said about this spiritual reality. He said, The great spiritual gift that comes as one takes the inward journey is to know for certain that who I am does not depend upon what I do. Understand God's not God's not concerned about your performance. You're, you're measuring up. You proving your worth to him in some way. You proving your value to him. You see, the love of God is not based upon our deserving nature. It's based upon the character of the one loving. Identity does not result from what I do. It does not depend upon titles or degrees or function. It depends only on the simple fact that I am a child of God, treasured and valued for who I am.
And I wonder when's the last time you remembered that. You're a child of God. Absolutely and eternally secure in relationship to Him. Despite your sin, despite your weakness, despite your failures and your flaws. You belong to Him. And you've been bought at a price. And you're His child. And I'm too. If we can wrap our minds and hearts around this, this is the beginning of being spiritually awakened. Why? Because identity changes us. When identity changes, guess what? Destiny changes. When identity changes, devotion changes. When identity changes, behavior changes. When identity changes, we understand that worship changes. When identity changes, the heart changes. We become reoriented toward Him when we understand first and foremost who we are. We become woke to His person and to His purpose. And my prayer for all of us as we begin is that we'll have a vision of who we are in Christ. Let's bow in prayer.